Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, good evening. Welcome back. Glad to see you. We had a great day on Sunday. That was a tremendous blessing. Uh, Brother Blake, Miss Haley, and Miss Sabina made it home safely. Um, they left it. They left here at like 3 in the morning and uh, drove to Mobile, flew out of Mobile. They flew home. So they, their flights took off some, somewhere around 7 a.m., so they had to be at the airport real early. And I was like, well, God bless you. Um, so they, they made it home safely. Uh, made, made it home and had a Walmart pickup waiting for them. So they, they were knocking it out. Yeah, only in America. <laughs> you land in Uganda, you're, you just landed. That's it. There's nothing else you're going to get done that day. <laughs> so just, just try to get home and, and plan it out for the next few days because you will not do that. Um, Kristen spoke with Miss Kathleen today uh, via text. She said, Brother Hoyt's blood pressure is doing better. Um, we don't have any other updates beyond that. I don't know what's going to... They've been back and forth on whether to have this next surgery or not. Um, they, they just don't know how much improvement it might provide, if it's worth going through all that trouble. So uh, keep praying for them. Jacob Rutledge and his family, uh, they have taken a trip related to that big decision that I keep talking about that they might possibly have to make. So if you'd like more details, too bad. <laughs> For now. Uh, I promised I wouldn't tell. So, so I'll, I'll be as vague as possible and, <laughs> and, and entice your minds to pray for him. Uh, they, they might have to make a big decision. Uh, but they're supposed to be here May 5th. If they make a big decision, they may no longer be able to be here. We'll see how that goes. But the plan for now is for them to be with us May 5th. That will be a blessing. Uh, remember that this Saturday we have public ministry. We'll be out on the street corner at 4 p.m. if it is not pouring down rain. And we will stand up for Jesus. Bethany waves at cars and says, God bless you as you go. <laughs> I have no idea where she got that from. But <laughs> that's what she says. So, um, so you Feel free to join us if you are able. Um, we're going to have a church work day Saturday, March 30th. Uh, so we'll meet here 
uh, at about 9 a.m. So I'll, I'll just schedule it at 9 a.m. And um, we will just try to do all we can on that day to take care of the church building, church property, and make sure things are in as good order as we can get them. And then I have asked Mark Waddington from Rock of Ages about Sunday, March 24th, about coming to be with us. So um, he has not responded yet that I know of. So um, tentatively, he will be with us March 24th. Hey, I already gave all the announcements. I got to start all over. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, did they have any updates on? No, it's still. Okay. We just talked about, I know she told Kristen that they'd gotten his blood pressure somewhat under control, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't know anything beyond that, so. Um. No, and he hadn't. He's got to go back and he's straight Yeah, yeah, I know, I know they've been back and forth about that surgery, so. Um, okay. Well, we'll keep praying for him and just to run, just to recap, Jacob Rutledge will be with us May 5th. He is on a trip right now related to the big decision that he's got to make. So please keep praying for him or that he might have to make. Uh, public ministry is Saturday at 4 p.m. If you are willing and able, come join us. Church work day will be Saturday, March 30th at 9 a.m., starting at 9 a.m. I mean, we're going to be here for a while, so if you want to come at 9 p.m., I mean, that's up to you. <laughs> Whatever fits your schedule. So uh, March 30th at 9 a.m., Mark Waddington from Rock of Ages. Uh, I have looked at the schedule he sent and asked him about March 24th. He has not confirmed that yet, but um, so, so we will tentatively have him with us in March, possibly on the 24th in the Sunday morning service. So um, if you would pray about those things, that'd be a blessing. Turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to go into another section. And uh, I know you might think the first section took a while. The second section didn't take quite as long. Wait till you see how long we spend here on two verses. (laughs) Um, but it will be worthwhile. Um, it's, it's, we're, we're now going to venture into what we're about to approach, what we're about to dive into in this next section is going to take us straight into the purpose of this book. Now we're, we're past the formalities, the introductions. Paul tried his best to say, you know, this is who I am. This is my connection to Jesus Christ. This is where you and I, the church at Rome, are connected together through Jesus Christ. Now that we've got all that out of the way, and you know who I am, and you know why you should listen to me, and now that I have informed you of who you are in Christ Jesus, now I've got some things to tell you. And from here on... The tone is going to change drastically. Now, not quite yet. We're going to get into verses 16 and 17. That's what we're going to read together tonight. Let's go ahead and read those and get those in our mind. And then and then we'll press on from there. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just 
shall live by faith. Now, those are our two verses, but let's read verse 18 just to get that context in our minds, because I'm going to mention it a few times throughout uh, the course of our, the information we're going to cover here. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Now, by the time we get to verse 18, we're getting into some very deep doctrine. Now, what we're going to look at in verse 16 and 17 is foundational. It's not that it lacks depth. It is, it's, it's probably the highlight of the book. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, is now revealing to us, I, I need to tell you this up front. Here is the power of God, because by the end of this chapter, you're going to hate yourself. <laughs> by the end of this chapter, I'm going to rip your face off being a Roman in Rome, living under depravity and going through all the horrendous things and, and, being, and having your righteous soul vexed by comfortably living in Sodom and Gomorrah and America <laughs> and, and London and, and, and every, other, every other place like it in between. And so while you're comfortable there, I need to point some things out. But before we get to the negative, you need to first know about the power of God. You need to first know what Jesus Christ did for you. You need to know how to access this salvation. Now, Paul's confident these people already have it. And he's, and he's excited to go there and to preach to them. He tells them, I can't wait to come and preach to you, but I can't get there yet. So I'm sitting in this letter. And I'm going to preach in this letter and I'm going to teach in this letter and I'm going to lay this out in this letter for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, about not being ashamed of this gospel. And it's not enough to say, well, I'm not ashamed of it. I'll tell somebody. Yeah, but do you live like a Christian on a daily basis or do you let situations and people in this world put you in an uncomfortable position in which you shy away from living for Jesus Christ openly and publicly? That's the question. It's not enough to come here and say amongst us who will encourage you, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Yeah, but when you, you were confronted by somebody last week who wanted to know about your faith, what did you do? Did you crumble? Did you shy away? It's nothing. Don't worry about that. Just, you know, go watch TV. Um, no, it, it's, it's the, the Lord wants you. The Lord does not want you to be ashamed of this gospel. And when you think about it and you put it all in its context and some of this is going to get repeated because I've got some information in my notes and I haven't even looked at it. I've just been rambling on. But when you think about it, if you're ashamed of the gospel of Christ, in the end and ultimately you are ashamed of the power of God and, and thereby ashamed of the salvation it provides. You can't have Jesus without the power. You can't have the power without Jesus. And, and without Jesus and the power of God, you have no salvation. And, and remember, to get from A to B, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So if you're ashamed of the gospel of Christ, if you cower back in, in the face of adversity, when it's your opportunity to give the gospel of Christ, you are denying somebody access to the way. The Lord told the disciples, I, I, where I'm going, you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. And they said, I don't know how to get there. What do you mean, how do we get there? He said, I am the way. It's me. Do you know me? Well, yeah, I know you. Then you know the way. 
You know exactly how to get there without question, without fail. Now, it's up to us who have the Lord Jesus Christ to take him out into the world and to offer him to anyone who will freely come. Now, overwhelmingly, most are going to reject it. Some are going to openly reject it in a defiant manner, purposefully trying to shame you, scoff at you, curse at you, yell at you, maybe even get violent, maybe. In America, not likely, possibly. In southern Mississippi, highly unlikely. (laughs) Possibly, but highly unlikely. I got attacked one time. Now, in Florida, it's a lot more likely that you'll get attacked. And, and I, me and one of, one of our brethren got attacked one time, and the guy didn't know that I used to be a professional fighter. And so it didn't go well for him. And it, he was shocked and had no idea that, that I was going to be able to fight back. I guess he just thought that he saw all those movies about Jesus where he's a, a weak little hippie and, and, and can't defend himself, and I guess he thought I was going to do the same. And, and so when he got up off the concrete... Look, and he looked at me like, that is not how I saw that going in my head. And, and he and his friend walked away. And so here, I highly doubt something like that's going to happen. I, I have no indication whatsoever that something like that is going to happen here. Let's go back to be, not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, it, it's the doorway to Christianity. All right. I am the door. I am the way. Well, who's going to take that and offer it to somebody? If I came to you and I said, how do I, how do I get to Laurel, Mississippi? You said, I'm not telling you. Okay, well, I have to go find some other way to get there and figure it out some other way. Why would you, why would you withhold from somebody the way to salvation? And it is the gospel. It is Jesus Christ. It's his death, his burial, his resurrection. And so we're going to get into all these things. And, and we have noted the, apostles, the Apostle Paul's approach to the church at Rome. He began by introducing himself. Then he moved into an explanation of, of, of the Christ he serves. Next, he explains the connection he has to the saints at Rome through the gospel of Christ. But the, 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 the niceties... Come to an end in verse 15. Now it's time to to get serious. And and I hope you've enjoyed these series of studies. I hope they have enriched you. I hope they have helped to build a good foundation. But I'm just telling you the next few weeks, it's going to get rough. Because because now we're, we're, we're getting, we're not talking about the sweet people at Rome who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Now we're talking about what those people need to be doing. And so thereby, talking about what you need to be doing. We're going to go from talking in the Word of God about the poor plight of, of, of the poor people, the poor Christians in this, in this perverted Roman city when you live in the exact same city. It's no different. Nothing has changed. There's nothing new under the sun. And just as, though, just as it was this church's responsibility to get the gospel into that city, it's our responsibility to get the gospel into this city. And not just city, this county. And not just the county, this state. And not just the state, America. And not just America, into all the world. All right, now we're going to have a starting point. We can't just jump to, to, the, to the other end of the spectrum. But, but this is going to be, this is where we're going to learn not only our responsibility to the world around us, Paul said, I, I am debtor. 
I owe you a debt, and I intend to pay it. But now he's going to get into the meat and the bones of this debt that he owes. And by the way, so do you. To your family, to your city, to your coworkers, to, to your grocer. I mean, what, what, whoever you interact with, uh, when you're buying a cow or a pig, <laughs> who's going to tell them about Jesus Christ? Now, apparently at the stockyard, they're probably going to hear about Jesus Christ over the intercom. But that's rare. That's only here. That, that should not be taken for granted. You can't let somebody else do Joel Logan, a man that we love dearly, he, he used to pastor Tabernacle Baptist Church in, in Greenville, South Carolina. He used to ask the young men that, that he spent time with, did you know that the rocks would sing out for Jesus if you didn't? And then he would say, are you going to let rocks outpraise you? <laughs> no. You, you can't just assume other people are going to do it. You can't just assume somebody else is going to tell somebody about Jesus. It's our responsibility. That's why we have tracks. That's why we have signs. That's why we stand on a street corner for people to see it. It's not so we can get attention. It's not a church advertisement. It's so people can drive by and see the name of Jesus Christ and understand he still saves sinners and they are still lost or saved based on what they did with that Jesus. And it's our responsibility to put them in a situation where they have to confront their sin and say, yes, I will trust in Jesus Christ, or no, I don't want that. It's not our responsibility to get results. It's our responsibility to make the offer as far and as wide and as often as we possibly can. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Has not God confounded the wisdom of this world? Why would you be impressed by the, the, the wisdom of this world? The wisdom of this world led you to gender-neutral creatures with green hair. That, that is not helpful. The wisdom of this world says that men can use women's bathrooms. I don't think so. All right, so, so why would you be swayed or, or, or enticed by the wisdom of this world knowing that the end result of that is drunkenness, drug addiction, fornication, confusion, and, and an endless number of items of depravity that you could take upon yourself. Or you can introduce people to Jesus Christ. Well, they're going to make fun of me. Yeah, probably. They made fun of him. He told you. They mocked me. What do you think they're going to do to you? All right, so, so it, it, that's, let them be offended by the gospel. But we have to give it out. We have to preach the gospel. We have to tell people about Jesus Christ. And, and, and I intend to do that and, and do it faithfully, Lord willing. Paul is about to get, begin paying his debt to the Jews and the Greeks, to the wise and the unwise. The currency in which that debt is paid will come in the form of pure biblical truth. Paul is ready to preach in Rome. And if, if by letter or in person... He will deliver the word of God to these needy people. As he lays this truth out to bear, he begins with his topic in verse 16, then expounds upon that topic in verse 17, and finally begins to explain in great detail starting in verse 18 to the end of the chapter. And when he gets to verse 18, I'm telling you, the gloves come off, and it gets intense. And now, there's a portion of this chapter that seems to be everybody's favorite. You know, this chapter talks about homosexuality, right? Almost everybody knows that. But did you know it talks about being backbiters and murderers 
or disrespectful to your parents? Do you know that's in the same list as being homosexual? As being unnatural and, and having unnatural relationships? I, I, what I don't understand is how did people forget to, be, to preach on being disrespectful to your parents, but they know to preach against homosexuality. Maybe if you preach the rest of the list and taught people to be respectful, taught children to be respectful to their parents, they might not end up in homosexuality. It, I mean, it could be. And, and in fact, if you got the family in order, there's a very strong chance that they might not end up there. One of the number one factors, according to the U.S. government, that causes people to end up becoming, <laughs> discovering that they're homosexual, however you want to put it, is a domineering woman in the home. Whenever there's a domineering woman in the home, there's about an 80% chance that one of the children will end up becoming homosexual. That's a government statistic. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a Bible-believing preacher saying that. that that's, a, that's a government statistic, and we're going to go through a bunch more when we get to that portion of the, of the Word of God. But here's the point. The world is in trouble. It's disoriented. It's confused. It's depraved. It's lost. But Jesus Christ came to save them. But how can he save them if the people he gave that, the, the ministry of reconciliation to are not participating in the ministry he gave them? It's not going to happen. And, and so we want to avoid that. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And, and verses 16 and 17, they, they are the gateway to the rest of the word of God. It is essential that we enter through the gates of the gospel of Christ. Otherwise, we are likely to perish in confusion. These two verses are key to evangelism as they introduce us to the power of God unto salvation. And without them, we fail to understand the great significance of the gospel of Christ. There's no way to understand it otherwise. Not just that. This, this section of this chapter opens with the gospel of Christ, the power of God unto salvation. And then it goes on to prove that every single man, woman, and child in this world is without excuse and deserves damnation. Now, this is dealing, this chapter is dealing mostly with the Gentiles. Chapter 2 is going to start dealing mostly with the Jews. Chapter 3, he's going to say, we have before confirmed, we have before proved both Jews and Greeks all are under sin. But they can be justified through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. But who's going to get them to the place of justification? It's me. It's you. It's our responsibility. And, and I, I want to go, I am going to go out of my way to establish in this church a culture of evangelism, of preaching the gospel, giving out tracts, holding up signs, talking to people, doing anything that we can, sending out mail, hanging door hangers, whatever we can do to introduce people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. Do I want them to come to church? Well, I want them to come to this church if they want to follow along with us. <laughs> if they don't want to follow along with us, then I don't want them to come to this church. But if they don't come to this church, I still want them to be saved. 
I don't want them to not come here and die and go to hell, but it would be better to be saved and in a bad church than lost and in a good church and never willing to trust in Jesus Christ. If you want to move along with us, praise the Lord. The doors are wide open to you. If you don't, then praise the Lord. There's plenty of churches in southern Mississippi that will have you. Wherever you go, I want you to know that your soul is secure in Jesus Christ. And there's no other way to have that accomplished other than somebody going to them and, and from, a, from a genuine and true heart, concerned about their soul, giving them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the door. It's the way. It's the power. There's no other way. That means you, you have the most incredible key in your hands to eternity. What are you doing with it? Who have you given it to in the past month? That's our responsibility. It has to be done. I want you to invite people to church. That'd be wonderful. But they might get here and I might say, why'd you invite that person to this church? <laughs> What's more important is to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they, get, if they get the gospel and they truly get saved, they will want to come to a good church and move along and join and be happy and, and, and participate in all the good things that we're trying to do here. If they don't want to get saved and they don't want to be here, or if they want to be here but don't want to get saved, it's just, it's just, it's various states of confusion, and that's not what we want. They have to enter by the door. Man. Trust in Jesus Christ. Give them the gospel. Now look at, look at Romans, look at Romans 1, 16 again. Let's read it again. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone Everyone. Now, if you were a Calvinist, you know what you do with that verse? Do you know what you do with that word in that verse? You say, well, in the Greek, what this word really was is um, something other than everyone. Everyone of the elect is what they say. God said, everyone that will believe this gospel, I will save your soul. I will, I will bring you to be with me for eternity. If you trust in my son and his finished work, you belong to me and nothing will happen to you when you step out into eternity. God guarantees it. And it's available to everybody. Not the elect. You know, we're going to get to Romans 9 again in, in, in a year or two, uh, uh, hopefully. Romans 9 says the elect are the enemy of the gospel. You might want to be careful calling yourself the elect. <laughs> You don't want to misalign yourself and, and put yourself into an awkward situation. But that's what false doctrine always does. False doctrine always accidentally tells on itself. And so if you'll study your Bible and listen to what people say, you'll say, well, you just, you don't even know what you just, you know, Mormons call themselves, they say that they are the lost tribe Ephraim. Yeah. Well, God said of Ephraim, leave Ephraim to his idols. <laughs> Ephraim lost its inheritance. Why would you pick Ephraim? You could you're making it up. It's a whole it's a lie. You could have picked anybody and you chose Ephraim. You're telling on yourself. That's what you're doing. The front cover of their book says another testament of Jesus Christ. Well, your Bible says that if we or an angel preach any other gospel 
Let him be accursed. And you put that on the front cover of your book. You didn't think this through. They always end up telling on themselves. And so Calvinism will read a verse like this and they'll say, well, in the Greek, you, you don't know Greek. Or they'll say, in the originals, there are no originals. Where's the original copy of the book of Romans? It doesn't exist. All you have are copies of copies of copies. There is no original copy. Or they'll say in the Textus Receptus. Well, that's not an original copy. And which version of the Textus Receptus? There were at least 19. So which one are you referring to? And, and they just make a show of themselves openly and, and, and heap damnation upon themselves. God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, there is an order to this. God said, I'm going to send it to the Jews first. Is that not what Jesus Christ did? I want you to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. You go to the Jews. Then after they did that, later he said, okay, now we're going we're gonna, to, we're branching out. We're going to go out further. The apostle Paul, every time he went to a new city, where's the first place he went? The synagogue. He went straight to the synagogue, preached to the Jews, reasoned with them from the scriptures. When they rejected it, which they almost always did, he said, okay, now I'm going out to the Gentiles. And he went and preached the gospel to them. Peter goes out on the day of Pentecost and he leads 3,000 Jews to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 10, he's sitting in an Italian man's house wondering why he's there and what do I do, Lord? Well, preach the gospel. And he did. And Cornelius and all his house got saved. To the Jew first and then to the Greeks. Now, it's an interesting way for Paul to state his loyalty to the gospel. I am not ashamed. He didn't say I am proud to be a part of. He didn't say, I am bold in. It's a negative statement with a positive result. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And so he's telling them, I put it out for the world to see and to know. And I'm excited for them to see its connection to my life. I am not ashamed. I am bold. I am proud. I am excited about the gospel of Christ. He's just stating it in, 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 a, in an inverted way. But, but the same is supposed to be true of your life. What is your connection to other believers? Is it Jesus Christ? Do you demonstrate that? Is it present? Is he present in your life? If somebody from another church in Tennessee, in Texas, in wherever... You come face-to-face from a Bible-believing church. You're going to recognize each other. My wife and I, we meet people sometimes, and we're like, they got to be from a good church. <laughs> and we go talk to them, and inevitably, oftentimes they are. Not always, but most of the time they are. And it's like, well, praise the Lord. And, and we just, just like Brother Blake was talking about when he was here the other day, it's like he's been here 10 years because there are people here who love the Lord, who love the Bible, and you just show up in a Bible-believing church, and you just fit in. Paul said, I am not ashamed. And if I was there with you, I'd be preaching this. Since I can't be there with you, I'm sending a letter. <laughs> but I'm going to get it to you. Look at Galatians 6. Same, same apostle, same person, preaching a very similar message to a different church, different city, different people. Galatians 6, verses 11 through 14. Verse 11 you see how large a letter I have written unto you. Now, Galatians is only six chapters. <laughs> Romans is 
Anyways, you see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Well, the other difference is Paul actually wrote this one. He didn't write Romans with his own hand. <laughs> so maybe that's, he's like, man, you guys, it's hard doing all this writing with a big pen. Miss Pat got it. Nobody else got it. Verse 12, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So they're trying to alter your body in a religious way so that they don't have to suffer for Jesus. Because if you go to the Jews and they find out, are, are you circumcised? Well, no, I'm not circumcised. I'm here to preach Jesus. I'm not, I'm not preaching the law of Moses. No, you got to be circumcised. And if you don't, we're going to persecute you. Okay, we'll go get it done. <laughs> You'll be going by yourself. <laughs> but they, they, they wanted to avoid this persecution. Verse 13, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. That's religion. That's exactly what religion does. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new, a new creature. Now, this, this passage perfectly describes religion. Religious people aren't happy unless they can force you to do what they want you to do. That's the whole point. Like, are you doing the things that I want you to do? That's, that's part of the struggle of trying to build a church these days. You get a lot of people coming in. Everybody's got their own ideas about how things should happen. And then it becomes a religious requirement. And they're going to try and force it upon you. And if you don't abide by it, well, I can't glory in forcing you to do what I want you to do. I want control over your flesh. That's religion. You know, the Bible teaches about this person called the Holy Spirit. And if you preach and teach the word of God, the Holy Spirit will deal with people's hearts and he will bring them along and teach them to do what he wants them to do. Can you trust the Holy Spirit to do that? Or do you, do you feel like you need to go and put people in, in a form of religious bondage that you want to put upon them? I want it done this way. I want it done that way. I think you should go here. I don't think you should go there. Nobody cares what you think. It makes no sense. But if I can force you to do what I want you to do, I get so much glory out of that. I can glory in your flesh. I put you in my bondage, you know, for your benefit, to help you. People can't just step back and say, brother, sister, here's what the Bible says. Can you follow the Holy Spirit? Can you follow the word of God? They, 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 religious people demand that you subject your, th themselves to their ideas. It's it, it, not, not, not necessarily biblical ideas. And it might even mis be misuse of biblical ideas. But they're going to try and put you in a form of bondage, and then they get to glory in that because they feel like they helped you and made you do what they think is right. It's an amazing thing. They can glory in your forced behavior, and Paul says they glory in your flesh. We glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. If I can force you or pressure you to act a certain way, it'll be vain glory. If I have to 
push you, if I have to make you, Adrian Rogers used to say it this way. He would say, if, if I can convince you to do something, somebody else can come along five minutes and convince you the exact opposite. But if I teach you the word of God, and I build a foundation of the word of God, and the Holy Spirit convinces you, it's going to be real hard to move you. It's very different. So if I come and I pressure you and I force you and I make you, I just put you in religious bondage. But if I say, no, we, let me show you from the word of God and let the Holy Spirit deal with your heart and give you some time and some space and some grace and some love, maybe some encouragement every now and then, then you might get it right. The, the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you. If I preach the cross of Christ and you get saved, then we can glory together in the Lord. If I preach what's true from the word of God, and you repent of whatever is going on in your life, then we can glory together in the Lord. It's not me glorying in your flesh. It's us saying, praise God. Look how good he is. Look how good his word is. Look how much better our lives are because we trusted him together. Paul's writing that church at Rome, and he's saying, your faith is spoken of around the entire world. This unity you have around the word of God and in Jesus Christ, it's amazing. And so he, he, he's excited about that. And that's what we want here. Um, you, you don't want a dictator. I don't want to be a dictator. I don't want to have to come to you and come knocking on your door. Let me see your refrigerator. What's this doing in there? <laughs> Look, you would, be, you would be amazed at what some preachers are willing to do to their congregation. And that's just not going to happen here. I'm, I'm going to expect you to be good grown adults who love the Lord and want the word of God and allow me to teach you and guide you. And, and if, if we need to sit down and talk about something, we'll talk about it. But I'm not coming to put handcuffs on you and an and a, and a, and a ankle bracelet and watch you and find out what you're doing and where you're going. Um, I would, even if I could do that to you, I would fail. I am too busy to watch you. I need you to watch you. Amen. Paul is ready to preach the gospel anywhere, at any time, without apology, and he glories in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second uh, Timothy, Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. I mean, imagine God having to write that. How, how, do you get a, how do you get a group of people who claim they understand what Jesus did for them and who claim to believe it suddenly become ashamed of Jesus Christ? Now, that seems to me like something very difficult to do. But when you also consider some of the persecution some of these people were dealing with, you might reconsider that. All right, now, in, in our lives, we have no excuse. There is no persecution here. What's, somebody might laugh at you. Somebody might say something stupid. I mean, it's, they're just demonstrating their IQ. Why not, why not allow them to demonstrate it? And not only so, but God, God chalks ridicule up to persecution. That means you get more points in heaven. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> More reward in heaven. So be not, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, 
nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. What is the power of God? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. He's telling them, don't be, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's the power. It's what you need. It's, it's, it, that's it. Verse 9, who hath saved us, praise the Lord, and called us with an holy calling. That sounds just like Romans 1. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death whew, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How, how, how are people going to get immortality? How is death going to be abolished? Somebody's got to go and preach the gospel. It's available to anyone that will have it, but it has to be given. It has to be offered. It has to be preached. If nobody's there to preach it, then it's over. It's, it's, it's like somebody sending you a check for a million dollars to the wrong address. It's there. It's available to you. But the message went to the wrong place or didn't come at all. And so you never receive it. Sorry. Some of you are going to be thinking about that million dollars. <laughs> Maybe it did. <laughs> now Christ abolished death and brought us life and immortality through this very gospel we're talking about. Why would you walk through life ashamed of that? How is it possible you could be ashamed of that? Now, again, under great persecution, I, I, I can see it. All right, I can see the difficulty. Daily life in southern Mississippi, I'm sorry, I don't see it. <laughs> there is no excuse here. In fact, we should be all the more bold because we have the freedom, we have the capacity, we have the openness. You have people around who want to talk about it or at least think they want to talk about it till they find out that they don't. But you have so many opportunities to tell people about Jesus Christ in this country, in this place where we live. We are unbelievably blessed. Even, I mean, we have a full retard as president right now. And you can still go out and preach the gospel as much as you want. Who hates us? by the way, and you can still go out and preach the gospel as much as you want and, and have no trouble whatsoever, and, and we should do it. The entire purpose of the introduction of the book of Romans was to demonstrate that Paul and the believers in Rome are one. They are united together through this gospel, and after making that connection, he boldly informs them, I am not ashamed of that gospel. I am not ashamed of that Christ. And now you're about to find out why. I'm about to start laying down some, some divisions that should exist between you and the people that are lost at Rome, between you and the people who are lost in Loosedale, in Pascagoula, in Hattiesburg, in Mississippi, in America. Those lines should not be blurred. Even somewhere like here, people call me and they say, how's it going, brother? And I say, well, I think we moved to Mayberry. I, I think we might, I mean, I think Andy Griffith is walking around town, right? Now, they still need the gospel. They're still going to die and go to hell if they don't trust in Jesus Christ. It is no different. It, now, praise the Lord for, for, a, for a scaled down version of Rome. Amen. I'm all for it. 
I, I would rather raise my children in that than Las Vegas. All right, now, but a scaled-down version of Rome is still Rome. A scaled-down version of Sodom and Gomorrah is still Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and all the ideologies that turned San Francisco and Seattle and New York City into what it is, they are here. They are at work. Now, they move a little bit more slowly here, and they don't have as much of an open ear here, but they are here. And they're preaching. They are not ashamed of the gospel of homosexuality. And they are not ashamed of the gospel of transgenderism. They are openly telling you, we are coming for your children. Now, the only way to combat that, it's, it's, not, it's not Donald Trump. It's not a Republican government. Have you seen what the Republican governments are doing? They do nothing. They're cowards. The way to combat that is to go and preach the gospel and teach people the Bible. That is what's going to change lives. Jesus Christ and the Word of God have been the answer and are still the answer. Nothing has changed. And the more that people try to use gimmicks and all sorts of other ideas to trick people into coming into the church, it's not going to work. It's not helping. The verdict is out. It's not helping. Nothing has changed. And so we're not going to do that. We're just going to preach the gospel and be faithful to do so. Now, Paul understood he would probably suffer. He was told that up front. Look at Acts chapter 9, and we'll finish with a few notes from Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. Listen to this. Verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the, into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. His heart probably just fell to the bottom of his stomach. You want me to go see who? No, thank you. But Ananias is a faithful man, and he, and he does what the Lord asks. He says, uh, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now listen, listen to verse 16. For I will show him how great things and how wonderful life is going to be serving me, and that he's going to be rich and happy and healthy and comfortable and full of joy. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, if, if we believe that God is going this way and the course of this world is going this way, shouldn't we also believe that that's going to cause some collisions? Lester Roloff, I love Lester Roloff. He's one of my favorite preachers. They used to say, somebody asked him one time, why do you keep having head-on collisions with everybody? And he said, because everybody's running the wrong way. Look, there's a course to this world, according, according to, to the Bible. According to Ephesians chapter, chapter 2, 
And the course of this world is enmity with God. It is against God. So if you're going to try to live righteously in Christ Jesus, it's going to cause conflict with a world who's okay with fornication and adultery and homosexuality and drunkenness and drug addiction and the movies and television and all the garbage that's out there at their disposal. Anybody who's okay with that is not going to be comfortable with somebody who says, I stand against those things. You, you partake all you want. I don't want anything to do with it. They can't, they can't have that. No, you need to come watch it with us. No, I don't watch those things. My family and I, we don't watch those things. That's for you. What do you mean it's for me? Well, it's for lost people who like to, it's, it's for pigs who like to wallow in the mud. Is that what you want me to say? <laughs> it's for the dog who likes to return to his vomit. Go enjoy your vomit. I don't want any. I want to stay with Jesus Christ. I want to be righteous. I want to be holy. I make enough mistakes on my own. I don't need your help getting me involved in some things that I don't need to be involved in. Going places I don't need to go. Looking at things I don't need to be looking at. Listening to things I don't need to be listening to. I don't need help being ungodly. I can be pretty good at it on my own. I need help. I need encouragement being godly in Christ Jesus. And if you're going to do that, the world's going to be angry. But the Lord told us, now we don't have the lot of the Apostle Paul. I'm not telling you you're going to go through what Paul went through. What, what Paul was and what Paul did was a very special situation, a unique situation. But the Lord did tell his disciples repeatedly, this world hated me. They're going to hate you. It's just how it is. So if there's no contrast between you and the world, if there's no conflict between you and the world, or, or at least you, 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 we have, here's the balance. You have to be able to exist in this world and be friendly enough to have good, strong relationships, but be contrary enough to be always on the verge of conflict. A lot of the people I have relationships with that are lost they trust me because I pay my bills and I, do what I, I try to do what I say I'm going to do and I try to be honest and they, they, they enjoy that. But they also wish I'd come get drunk with them and I won't. Or they wish I'd come watch some movie with them and I won't. Or participate in something that they do that is ungodly and I won't. So it causes this awkwardness that is real close to conflict, and for some it does spill into conflict. You think you're better than me. No, I think Jesus is better than you, and I'm going to stay with him. I don't think I'm better than you. In fact, if you knew me, you would, you would, not, you would know I don't think I'm better than you. But Jesus is, and I'm going to do my best to stay close to Jesus Christ. And I don't need you helping me defy that goal, that aim in my life. But what's going to happen is, if you're ashamed of the gospel, that conflict's going to arise and you're going to, you're going to cower. Okay, maybe just a little. I don't want conflict. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't like it. I, I've been doing this for, I, I got saved in, 2000, in um, October of 2010. And um, 
I came home, was home for just a little while. I got saved in Saudi Arabia, came home, went to Egypt. While I was in Egypt, um, uh, I was training the Egyptian military, but I had access to the U.S. military mail system. So I ordered book after book after book after book, and I would just sit there. There wasn't a lot to do. The work there was very easy, so I had a lot of time on my hands, and I would just devour books. Praise the Lord. It gave me a lot of knowledge, but it didn't do a whole lot to give me a lot of grace. But because of that, I was ready for conflict, or at least I thought I was. Sometimes it would come up and, 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 and that feeling like, oh, no, just, just cower and run away right now. <laughs> Don't get into this. It, 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 it rises up in me as well, and it rises up in other great men of God I know all across the country. But you have to get control of your body and say, no, we're going to stand up for Jesus Christ. I don't have to be rude. I don't have to be disrespectful, but I'm not backing down and I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I can very kindly and respectfully tell you you're wrong. In fact, throughout the, the history of my jobs that I have had as a Christian, I had a lot of leeway and gave people really hard times and never got in trouble because they use foul language and I never did. I know how to deal with you. I know how to, I know how to, push your buttons, as it were, you know, in a friendly way, without using that kind of language. And, and so they can't. And so when this conflict would come up, we would, me and my, my, the brothers that I worked with would never end up in trouble because, I mean, what did we do wrong? We just, we were very clean in what we said, righteous in what we said. And it angered them. They, they, they couldn't control themselves. So they would respond in a very negative and very degrading and, 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 very, and very vile way. And because of that, the, the verdict was, we know you did something, <laughs> but we don't know what it was because you never said a bad word. You didn't get angry. You didn't get over, the, over top. You know, and, and, and this guy lost his, lost his mind. But, but those moments of confrontation are very difficult to deal with and lasting. If it's at work, now you got to work side by side with that person. And they know they can't get under my skin and can't get me to say this and can't get me to say that. But I can get them to do it. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't want that type of relationship. I want them to know we're different. We're not the same. And my goal is to help you see why we're different, hopefully without causing an explosion between the two of us. But if the explosion comes, I, I, I will try my best to, to prevent it. But if it comes, I'm not backing down. And I'm going to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you reject it, you get angry, it offends you, I understand. I apologize. I'm sorry. But you need it. You need Jesus Christ. You need the gospel. You don't even know what you need. You don't want to hear it. I get it. I understand. But you desperately need it before you lift up your eyes in hell, wishing you had revisited that conversation. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I, I, I absolutely am not. My wife is not. Our family is not. And we want a church that is not. 
We want, we want to encourage people to preach the gospel. Now, I'm not suggesting you don't. I, I, you know what you do on a daily basis. You know how you handle these things on a daily basis. But if you're not taking the gospel to Loosedale and to the places where you go and visit and spend time, who is? Likely nobody. And that's a shame. When I preached that missions conference up north, I told them, I grew up in that area, and I told them, I can't think of a single time when a Bible-believing Christian came and knocked on our door. Not one time. Not in Memphis, not in North Mississippi. I don't know of a, of a single time ever that someone was just door knocking and came and knocked on our door. Now, today, it's, it's nobody, want, nobody if, you, if you did knock on their door, they're not going to let you in. <laughs> it's just not going to go anywhere. Not likely. But back then, they would. And I can't think of a single time that anybody came and knocked on, on our door and told us about Jesus Christ. I didn't get saved till I was 29. Now, I knew the gospel. It's nobody else's fault but my own. I had, a very godly, I had two very godly great-grandmothers. They told me the gospel. In fact, when those people in Saudi Arabia asked me, how does a person get saved? I knew the answer. I just had never trusted in Jesus myself. We, we have to take time with people and tell them about Jesus Christ. It's not about winning arguments. If you win an argument, there's no guarantee that person's going to come, come over and trust in Jesus Christ. It's about relationships. It's a long-term game. It's a long-term idea. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Get to know them. Be honest with them. Be good friends with them. Be, be a, a, a foundational person in their life. And then when everything shatters, which it is certain to do, if you raise your hand if you live in this world. Anybody? Yeah. You live in this world, it, it's going to shatter. And you can either sorrow as others who have no hope, or you can sorrow not as others who have no hope. The choice is yours. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. We sure thank you for the gospel. Lord, please help us with this portion of this book. It's so rich and uh, so important, and uh, we want to we want to pass on from here with good, strong understanding of this passage, and and see it for the foundational truth that it is, and pray that you'd help us, help us wrap our minds around it, wrap our hearts around it, help us take all the time that's needed for for each and every one of us to grasp the truths in these verse verses, and uh, pray that you'd be honored and glorified through it all. Help us to be bold. Help us to be kind and respectful and long-suffering and loving. But, Lord, help us to be clear and help us to be bold and, and not to lose the balance between the two. Both are necessary. Both are important. Both are required. And uh, we'll, just, we'll depend upon you to help us. And thank you when you do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.